Ephesians chapter 9, verses 19 through 20. Romans 9, 19 through 20. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? Or who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this challenging chapter in your word, Lord. We thank you that it really does uh, show us your greatness and your glory. Lord, I thank you that your word is all breathed by you, Lord. The easy parts to accept and the uncomfortable parts. And so today I pray for you to please fill me afresh with your spirit, Lord, that you would guide me and direct me and that this message would go forth, Lord, and produce fruit in the hearts of your people, Lord, that would bring you glory. And I ask you to do this in Jesus' beautiful name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, happy Father's Day to everybody that's a father. That is an incredible privilege, isn't it? Man, it is something else. I remember when... My son John was born. That was a special, special day. Not so much. God is good. Um, we're continuing on in Romans chapter 9. And this is a difficult chapter. It is. It's a very difficult chapter. And it's, you know, people say, well, it's difficult uh, if you uh, are what they would say is Ar- Arminian, somebody who believes in free will. This is a hard chapter to process, and and people don't want to process it. But it's also a hard chapter for somebody like me who's a Calvinist, who, uh, you know, there's some truths in here that you you struggle with. We know they're true, but we still struggle with them. And today is one of those days where uh, we just wrestle with some of the truths that are here, and we can't get around them. As I said, I used to be in that uh, camp where uh, it's all free will, and, um, you know, the idea of Calvinists, where those were the the people that were reading it wrong. And then I just kept coming over and over and over again in the Word of God, saying, you know, well, but this is what it says, but this is what it says, but this is what it says. And in chapter 9 again, uh, we come to another question that Paul is asking. And in this particular book, it appears he has about 75 questions he asks in Romans. And in this one, he's basically saying, listen, okay, if God sovereignly chooses... If God is the one who, who chooses the elect, then it's not fair that you should expect us to uh, live differently. So, you know what? How can you find fault in us? We have to do what you called us to do. And the problem is, is what we do then is we say, you know what? God's sovereignty, then it appears in our, in our human minds that um, God is reducing men to helpless robots. God is uh, reducing us to puppets. But that's not true because we have thought and we have choice. And in this chapter, it makes it clear that man has a responsibility. The amazing thing is, is that God is so great that somehow he will allow willing, significant choices and still be in complete control. 
In our human mind, we say, that can't happen. I, I love what somebody prayed in the prayer room this morning. The prayer was, Lord, we're so small. How can we understand all the depth of your greatness? And I love that prayer. And this is one of those things. Somehow God does this. That God is sovereign over all things, yet men are responsible for their choices and their actions. How does that work? I don't know. But it's true because both truths are taught in the Word of God. The difficult part is this. If we're processing all of this stuff logically, we're coming to a question saying, you know what, if, if God chooses some, then that means he's passing over others. He's not choosing them. So is God making them a sinner? Or is this what we would consider double predestination? And I will say, no, this is not double predestination, okay? And I love the quote that I found from Wayne Grudem. He explains it so well, the difference. Take a look at this. God's decision not to save some is called reprobation because double predestination implies God carries out both election and damnation in the same way, which is not true. Very important truth to understand there. In predestining to glory, God works directly on the hearts through the Holy Spirit to impart new life, saving faith, and the blessings of salvation. But in reprobation, God does not work in the heart to infuse evil or force people to sin. He works through secondary causes to permit sin, so sinners are justly condemned for their willful sins. So it's different. We say, so God is predestining them. No, because we have to go back into the first, uh, in verses 14 through 18. Remember when he said, God, you're not just if you do this. And he never responded with justice. He talked about his mercy. Remember that? And he said, I'll choose to have mercy on who I'll choose to have mercy on. It has nothing to do with justice. Because if justice were done, everybody would be separated from God eternally because we're all sinners. So what we find is this, is that God did not create sinful beings in order to punish them. That's not what God did. But God permits men to exercise their own free will, and we sin. And when we sin, he punishes us because we're in Adam. That's the problem. Did God create Adam and Eve sinful? No, but they sinned. And because they sinned, we are in Adam and Eve. We talked about that earlier in the book of Romans. So we have this challenge because God made us in such a way that he ordains all that we do, yet we exercise personal will and make voluntary choices that we are responsible for. And that's consistent with the word of God. Let's take a look at God's word. Romans 9 19 through 20. That's the challenge. That's the question. If, God, if there's divine election, then how can God hold somebody accountable because they had no choice? They had to be sinners. And he goes, if you will, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? How can he blame us? Talking about lost people. For who can resist his will? We have to be what we are, right? That's what God created us to be. 
But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to the molder, Why have you made me like this? This is the struggle that's going on. Paul is answering the questions that he knows his people will have. In Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's who we are. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone. So if God is just, then everyone would be eternally separated from him. Why? Because we have all sinned, every one of us, and are short of the glory of God. James 1.13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So this idea that God is, is tempting us in order to make us fall, and then we're separated from him, that's not true. And then it goes on in 1 John 1.5, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. There's no evil in God's heart at all. None. I love what a brother said to me this morning. Uh, God's heart is broken over the... Uh, uh, he, he doesn't delight in, in, in sending sinners to hell. He doesn't delight in that. He's just, but he doesn't delight in it. So let me ask you this. How does God cause us to choose something willingly? I don't know. I don't know. But I can't say this. Me personally, I am aware of absolutely no restraints on my will from God when I make a decision. Zero. None. I don't feel any restraints. As I said in the past, if I had a two-by-four up here and I wanted to walk up to somebody and smack them, I would feel no restraints by God to do that. Okay, so I don't feel any restraint whatsoever in the choices that I make. None. I absolutely have no sense of being forced to make any decision or compelled to choose one thing over the next. I don't feel that at all. I don't know if you do, but I don't. And I believe these truths, and so I'm wrestling with this stuff because that's the way it is. I do not feel any kind of... Uh, pressure, any kind of, you got to make this decision, Dan. Now, I think God works those things in our lives. Uh, I think of when I go into prayer and I feel God's direction. Is he forcing me to take that direction? No. Not that I know of. Because God is still sovereign over all things. But to say that God does not cause us to make willing choices limits his power. It limits his power. God can create a creature who makes willing, voluntary, meaningful choices, and those choices are nonetheless ordained by God. God can be big enough to do that. See, that's the struggle, is in our minds, if it doesn't make logical sense, then it can't happen. That's our struggle, because we think it's all about us, and we can figure it all out. And that's just not true. That's just not true. God is great. He does things we cannot fathom. So if God can do so, if God is God, then he can clearly do this. He can clearly clearly make a creature like us who makes free choices in a sense of free in the Calvinist sense that are nonetheless ordained by God. 
How can God, how can we say God can't do that? I can't, and there's nowhere in the Bible where it says that. Let me ask this too. If choices are not caused by God, but are totally free, how can God predict the future? How could he do that? Because we don't know what people are going to choose tomorrow. And people will say, well, that's foreknowledge. He, he foreknows what's going to happen. So then the next question becomes this. If it's foreknowledge, then it's still fixed, right? It can't change. It's fixed. If it's fixed, okay. Is it really free then in the sense that it is undetermined or uncaused? So if it's just simply foreknowledge and God just knows what we're going to choose, then nothing can change. Because if it changed, God would be caught off guard, right? So it's fixed, it's locked in, whatever the decisions are made. If it's simply foreknowledge and not God ordaining things, then it's still fixed no matter what happens, and nothing can change because God knows what all the choices are going to be. And he says, "Uh uh-huh. And they can't change. They can't change. Or God would be surprised. So either way, it's locked in, right? Somehow, some way. And if both the person and the circumstances are created by God, I think of Joseph. Joseph was created by God. Then Joseph was put into situation, circumstances. If the person and the circumstances are created by God, if they are, then God is ultimately the one who determines the outcome. He can move us in a way. You know what? Let me ask you this if you're a parent. Father's Day today. Isn't there a way sometimes where you can get your kids to do what you want them to do without asking them to do what you want them to do? Right? You, you know. You can lead them. You can guide them. You can move them in that direction. And they feel like it's their choice. Right? They come up with this brilliant idea. And they say, Dad, I just thought about this. What if we, and you go, that's a great idea. And you turn around and you kind of smile and go, that's exactly what I wanted you to do. Right? Right? Because the circumstance was put in such a way that they made the choice that you knew that you wanted them to make. And is that somehow the way God works? Yeah. Because if God is sovereign over me as a person and the circumstances, then God is the one who is ultimately determining the outcome. And because of that, we call that freedom in the Calvinist sense. Because I don't, have, I don't feel I have any, any uh, restraints on me whatsoever. But is that true in a purest sense? I don't know. I don't believe so because of the Word of God. God ordains all that we do Yet we exercise our free will and make voluntary choices and actions that have real results, that have real effects. We're making choices that are real. We're not robots. We're not puppets. And the choices we make have effects. And that is consistent with the Word of God. Consistent. Take a look at God's Word again. James 4 Verse 2b through 3. You do not have because you do not ask. That is clearly, you ha- there's an action on your part and there's another reaction on that part. You do not have 
Why? Because you do not ask. Very clear. Goes on. You ask and do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You're living in such a way you want this for you, and you ask for it, and I'm not going to give it to you because of the way you're living. If you were living and your heart was, was correct in your request, I would give it to you. But I'm not giving it to you because your heart is not right. That's what it says there. Because you ask wrongly. You want it for yourself. You're asking for something, and you want it for yourself, and I'm not going to give it to you because you have the wrong motive. You see, it comes back to because we have the wrong motive, God's not going to answer that prayer that way. But if we had the right motive, God would answer it, is the implication in that verse. So we see our decisions and the way we're living has an effect right now in real time. And it goes on in Romans 10, 14 through 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they going to do that? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? That's, the, that's a question he's asking. He's saying, listen, and this is for us Calvinists, where he said, well, God will just, you know, God's going to call him or he's not going to call him. But he tells us to preach the word of God because that's the vehicle that God uses to affect people's lives. That's his choice. He ordained that. And so we see actions have real-life consequences, real-life effects. It's not manufactured. It's real. And go on James 1.25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You see the balance there? And then Psalm 128, verse 1. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. So what we see here is that there is a way that we make decisions, and when we make those decisions, it has a real-life effect in today's world. God ordained prayer as the way that he uses to bring about results. That's what it says in God's word. It's consistent. Pray. Pray. Ask me. You don't have because you don't ask. Pray. It sure seems that, that there's this, this back and forth that's happening here, that God is, is ordaining things, but yet he's saying if you don't pray, you don't get it. Well, how does that work? Do you realize what you're asking when you pray for a, a situation, especially towards someone else's life? Think about this. If somebody is lost and you pray for their salvation, what are you asking God to do? To work on their will, right? You're asking God to do something that is incomprehensible to us, but to influence that person in such a manner that they would become a believer. You're asking God to affect their free will. So when we pray, we're asking God to move in certain areas that he would influence those and move those in a certain area. That's what we're doing when we're praying. And God genuinely answers prayer. He does that. God genuinely answers prayer. I was praying for myself, if you just be honest. Uh, well, two different examples I'll give you. 
Something as simple. I have an old van, and my old van does not, the hood doesn't latch completely if I open it up. And in cars, you have the safety latch, right? When you pull the, the button, the hood pops up a certain height, and then you've got to go reach under the hood and flip that little lever. Okay, that's a safety latch. And whatever I did, I'd slam that thing down, and it would never lock. And I was driving home one day. It was frustrating. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit laid on my heart and said, Dan, why don't you just ask me about that? Because I, like, I, I can handle it myself, God. Who cares, right? But God cares about the little things. So I said, you know what, Lord? This is so frustrating to me. Would you please, God, just cause this hood to close? And I popped it up again, and boom, and it locked down. It locked down. And I go, okay, God, you had a real-life answer to the prayer that I had just prayed. It was a genuine answer. I had another situation just with my leg. I've been struggling with an IT band issue. And, um, you know, doing all this, getting, having my daughter roll me out and doing things like that. And I realized I wasn't praying about it. And I felt like the Holy Spirit laid it on my heart. Dan, why don't you ask me about this? And I went, I haven't, Lord. And then I started praying about it, and it started to heal from that point on. It was just incredible what God did. You see, God genuinely answered that prayer. He answered it in real time. Here's the challenge for us, though. If God ordained that before the foundations of the world, and he ordained that I would be going through that struggle, both those struggles, and he ordained the answer to to those struggles before time began, if that's true, which I believe it is, then... A response planned long ago is still a response, right? We don't know. I wasn't there. But that response is still God. Even if he, in his wisdom and in his power, could do that a millennial ago. Either God can do it or he can't. Are we limiting God because we say, well, that can't, he can't do that. That's not a real response. Of course it's a real response. Of course it's a real response. I wonder this. What if I didn't pray for that latch to be latched? Would it have latched or wouldn't have? I don't know. But it did latch. And I believe that was planned all those whiles ago because it built up my faith. And shut that hood and it locked in and I went, God, I am so foolish. I tried to do all my stuff on my own. I come to you last so many times. And my faith was built up. So if he was going to intended that hood to latch a millennial ago, was that an ungenuine response to my prayer? No, it was a genuine response. Look at what God did. You see, we try to put God in this box. And as we prayed this morning, we're so small. And so we want to figure God out. And everything's got to be packaged the way it logically makes sense to us. And there's times where you say, I just, I don't know. I don't know. And that makes us uncomfortable. Ryan and I were talking earlier this week, and he says, yeah, you know, you can't be waving what, we call, what I would call incense. And every say, well, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. Too much. But in Romans chapter 9, you end up doing that a lot. Because it's talking about God's sovereignty and about us trying to get our heads around all that. 
God works through actions, and he works through the lack of action in his providential management of the world. God works through action and a lack of action in his, as he providentially rules this earl. That's what he does. We see here in, this, uh, in these examples preaching the gospel. How are they going to hear unless somebody preaches it to them? So he says, go preach the gospel. That's what we're called to do. And that's our challenge, to preach the gospel, because God called us to do that. And as I've said, too many times you say, well, it's just going to happen, God, if they're elect or not. You're not being obedient. Because God says, I have given you this ability to preach the gospel, and I have chosen, I have ordained through all time, that the preaching of the gospel is the tool that I will use to draw men to myself, hear the gospel, and receive the gift of salvation. That's what God ordained. I don't get it, but he did. He doesn't need to. I understand that. But that's what God has done. And he says, now do it. Go do it. So our challenge in this body is to say, you know what? How are we doing with sharing the gospel? Because we're commanded to do that. And we can't default on our Reformed theology as an excuse not to do that because we're not being obedient to the Word of God. That's why I said that a couple weeks ago, too. we got to obey God's Word. And he says, do this. Preach the Word of God. I sent you here, Dan. We see as well that obedience to God results in blessings. That's what it says here. So if we walk in obedience to God, we will be blessed. And if we don't walk in obedience to God, then we won't be blessed. So then, would God be determining that we walk in disobedience to him? No. This is what we were talking about earlier. What we see is that God is doing a work, and he says, you're going to make real-life willing choices right now in real time that are going to have real-time effects right now. And somehow, somehow, God is sovereign over all those things. That's amazing. But I certainly don't feel like I have any, in any way, shape, or form, have any kind of limitations on my free will at all. I don't feel like that. Obviously, we have to define what free will is, but we're not going to go there because this is a deep enough one, right? Trying to get our heads around all this. Brothers and sisters, here's, here's where we get right down to it. It is impossible for finite beings to totally understand an infinite God and how and why he works. We can't get it. And that is the very point that Romans chapter 9, verses 20 through 23 is making. It's saying, you know what? Our creator God, who is, you know, who is infinitely wiser and greater than we are. Our creator, God, has a right to do what he chooses to the people that he, have crea- he has created. That's the point. Take a look. God's word. We're going to go back a couple of verses in Romans chapter 9. Romans 9, 14 through 15. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on who I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. That was the question of how can God be just if he elects some and not others? And and there's no answer to justice there. All he's simply doing is he's talking about the fact that, you know what? 
I'll have compassion on who I'll have compassion on. And we see the parallel of that in verses 20 through 20, 21 through 23. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel of honorable use and another of dishonorable use? He's basically saying the same thing that he said in 14 and 15. I'll have compassion and mercy on who I'll have compassion and mercy on. It's up to me. And then he follows that up here in verses 21 through 23, saying, doesn't the potter, doesn't the potter have right to make of the clay anything that he wants? We don't like that because we want to be in charge of everything. Our flesh wants to be in charge, and it goes against us. It goes against our pride. We want to have a say in it all. And he says, listen, it's made out of the same lump. Do you see the infinite difference the infinite difference between the potter and the clay? There's a, it's an incomprehensible difference. It's so immense. And he's saying, think about this, Dan. Think about this. It's up to me. Look at verse 22. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory. God's grace is God's choice. God's mercy is God's choice. It's him. He's sovereign. That's what he's stating here. God's grace is God's choice. Mercy is not a human right, nor is it a divine obligation. Otherwise, we'd be saved by works. If God owed us mercy, it would be because we lived a certain way, and now God has to give us mercy, and salvation is not by our works. That's what we know. So it really comes down to God. He can make clay either for dishonorable use or honorable use is what he's saying in order to further his purposes and for his glory. I never saw this before as I was reading these verses. Okay? When you read these verses, you would think that it's the same thought pattern. Look at what it says in 22. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath... Prepared for destruction. That word prepared means fitted. In other words, there's a sense that because of what they've done, this, this is deserved. It's fitted. Then look at this. In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, he has pre uh, which prepared for glory. Should it be just which pre were prepared for glory? Look at this. Which he has prepared beforehand for glory. That section there he has prepared beforehand is one Greek word. Just like the word prepared is only one Greek word. And they're completely different Greek words. Completely different. And the meanings of them are different. That second one means fit up in advance, ordained before. So we look at this and we say, you know what? Look at this just right in front of 
our eyes is a difference here that God's saying, you know what, there's vessels of wrath that were prepared for destruction, and then there's those who are vessels of mercy who I have prepared in advance beforehand. I did something in them. It's different. As we went all the way back to the beginning of this message, it's not double predestination. It's about God choosing and then others receiving what they deserve, which everybody deserves, which is separation from God. God's purpose in election is that his glory would be displayed through his mercy. He'd say, you know what? Here's, here's where it comes right to where you live. You read Romans and you say, I am a sinner separated from God and I deserve God's judgment. Just like everybody throughout all of history. But God, you called me to yourself and you've given me mercy. Why me? Why me? I don't deserve that. You're right. And it shows you his great glory that he would call you. He didn't have to. He did. He called you. He granted his mercy to you. And it's so that when we see God, and this is going to sound hard, but it says it here, when we see God judging those who are lost, it'll make his mercy to us seem all the greater. We go, wow, that was me. I deserve that. That's why he's saying if he, if he is patient with vessels of wrath, and he waits. Then there's going to come a time where his judgment will come, which we all deserve. That's the point of Romans 9. And yet we will stand in awe of God and his graciousness and his kindness and his mercy towards us. It will shine greater because we see that's what we deserve and we did not get that, but he called us. He elected us and we didn't deserve it. We did nothing to earn it. It was just God's kindness, God's love. And you see how that would make his mercy and his grace even seem greater to us for all eternity? Because we'll know in our hearts that I deserve that. But God, you didn't, that's not what you did for me. I am so undeserving. And what that means for us today, too, is that God will be able to keep us. He's going to be able to keep you. If he called you, he's going to keep you. Like Jesus said, all that the Father gives me, none of them are going to slip through. So we can rest in that. God is greater. God is great as in his faithfulness, as we sang earlier, right? Great, in that, great is thy faithfulness, O Lord God Almighty. You called me. You will finish what you began. And I do not deserve it. I don't understand how this whole thing works. I don't understand your ways at times. I don't understand how I, you ordained everything, and yet I have this will that I don't feel there's any limitations to. I don't get it. I don't know how that works. But God, you are God, and I will worship you. The power in judgment makes known the riches of his glory to the vessels of mercy. That's what it says. We'll see that. Now we have a hard time with it, but we will see that. And there will come a time, I believe with all my heart, that in eternity we will be praising God for that very thing. We'll be praising Him for the riches of His mercy in our lives. You know, somebody who's a Calvinist, 
like me, who believes that God is sovereign over all things, he ordains all things, and somebody who's an Arminian. Arminian is it's all free will. You know this, that both of those groups of people believe that we make voluntary, willing choices? Both groups do. I believe that. And those choices have real results, without a doubt, in real time, that we are responsible for. Both groups agree with that. So God is sovereign, yet man is responsible for the choices he makes. It's not separated because those truths are taught in the word of God. Now exactly how God causes us to choose something willingly is unknown. I don't know. I don't know how he does that. He has ordained all things, and how he causes me to willingly choose what he ordains me to choose, I don't know. But I do know this. I do know my Jesus, and I do know my God, and I know my Jesus loves me, and I know my God is great. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is all-present. He is full of mercy and grace. He went to the cross for me. I do know that about God. And because I know that about God, I can rest in the fact that there are some areas that I won't understand, but God doesn't intend me to understand them. And I can worship him. Even in the battle in my heart that can come, when I read through a chapter like Romans 9, I can still rest in who God is. There's no doubt about who he is. And the mysteries that he has about how and why he does things are going to be in his hands. But I can trust him that he will be a just God, a loving God, a merciful God in all that he does because that's who he is. And you can rest in that too. You can rest in that too. I don't know if I brought more confusion to you or not. This is a hard couple of verses to walk through to hopefully give you some insight in. But I, I pray that, as I've said throughout this Romans chapter 9, uh, that if you disagree, just go into the Word of God. I, I don't want to argue feelings because it doesn't matter what we feel. It matters what the Word of God is, and that's for all eternity, and it's secure. So go into the Word of God. Study it. And as I've also said in this message, uh, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? And the enemy has used this, these two different camps to cause a lot of division in the body of Christ in the past. And I don't want to see that happen. So I'm going to love a person no matter what if they're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I will stand on God's word all the time. Even though I, there's times when I don't know how, it's gonna, how he does it, I'm okay with that. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Romans chapter 9. God, it, it causes us to stand in awe of you. It brings conflict into our hearts because we see how we want it to be all about us. A man-centered gospel, but it's really all about you. And I thank you that you are who you are, that you're loving God, you're just, that your ways are not our ways, you're so much higher. And Lord, I thank you that today maybe you opened up our hearts to something to think about that we haven't before.
And I pray the result of that, Lord, would be worshiping of you. I pray these things in Jesus' beautiful name.